Amen. Thank you, men. If you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. And what we sang just a moment ago will go along with the message today. Revelation chapter number 19 as you're finding your places here. Now, let me mention as you're finding Revelation 19, we've been going through this series of things to come. We started out in Revelation chapter 4, and then we're going all the way to chapter 22. Uh, which will take us all the way to the end of the age, the new heaven and the new earth right there, which deals with the majority of the book of the Revelation from chapter 4 to 22, deals with futuristic events that have not yet transpired. And so we would call that prophecy, all right, things that have not yet transpired, but will take place shortly, I believe. We don't know how shortly, but the Bible says we know that these things are at hand which means they are imminent, means they could happen at any moment. And so the next thing on God's prophetic calendar are not earthquakes and pestilence and diseases <laughs> and uh, all those things. The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. When he calls his church home, Revelation chapter number 4, we be the voice archangel, the trump of God and so forth, will be uh, taken to meet the Lord in the air in the clouds and so Shall we ever be with the Lord? And while the church is gone, of course, the building, the facility will still be here. And But the church, those uh, comprised of baptized believers, all right, been washed of blood, redeemed, justified, saved, be in heaven. And then during that time will be what we call Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week will be the time of the tribulation period, a seven-year tribulation period in which God will pour out his wrath on an unbelieving world. We divide into two sections, the tribulation, first three and a half years, and the last three and a half being the great tribulation. And as we come here to Revelation 19, we're going to see one of the most action-packed, dramatic chapters in all the Bible. We've got a lot that's going to be happening here. Things will be happening very rapidly. We're coming to the very end of the close of the seven-year tribulation period. We've seen several sets of sevens. When we first opened up with the tribulation period starting, we had seven seals, and only the Christ was worthy to open the seals. And with those seven seals were seven judgments, which released the four horsemen of the apocalypse, one of them being the first one, Revelation chapter 6 being the Antichrist. He came riding a white horse because he wants to imitate Christ. He wants to counterfeit Christ. He comes forth conquering and to conquer and he makes a treaty with Israel that he later breaks three and a half years in the tribulation when he reveals who he is. He's the beast. <laughs> He's Satan's Superman. He's the man of sin, the son of perdition, that uh, satanic Superman, the second member of the trini satanic trinity. He's the beast. We have the red dragon, that's Satan. We have the beast. And then we have the other beast being the false prophet. This is a satanic trinity that will be in charge during the tribulation. And so we've went through seven seals, and on the seventh seal were released seven trumpets. Seven trumpets also releasing a judgment of God's wrath on an unbelieving world against the followers of Antichrist and the followers of Antichrist. And with that seventh trumpet, we have the release of, that brings us to the last three and a half years, we're going to have uh, the seven vile judgments, worse in intensity, God's wrath in bold form, vile form being poured out on an unbelieving world during that time. And those are going to take us the seventh 
those seven vows, bold judgments, take us all the way, ushering us into the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right, so we're going to take us all the way in uh, to Revelation 19, 20 and following, and we're going to be in and out that seven-year tribulation period. But you know what happens then, don't you? Lord Jesus comes back, his second coming. He came the first time in Bethlehem as a babe, as a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And he's going to come back again. He's going to touch his foot again as he promised in Matthew chapter 24 in the Mount Olivet Discourse where he gave that great sermon on prophecy and so forth is the place his foot is going to place again. And that's what we mean when we say Advent. means he's going to touch the earth a second time in his second coming. But guess what? I'm going to be coming back with him. And all those armies behind us riding white horses, all those, the church coming back with Christ, during that time, which he will, will have the battle of Armageddon, which it won't be much of a battle. You say, well, I've never been in a battle. Well, when you come back in the, with the second coming of Christ, you won't do much fighting because Christ will eliminate that crowd and just with the sword of his mouth and destroy the kings and take the false prophet and the antichrist who caused all the turmoil and the martyr of the saints and take them and cast them alive, I emphasize alive, into the lake of fire, brimstone and fire to burn and be tortured for all eternity for what they've done. And then we'll have Satan, Satan to be bound, old red dragon be bound, placed in the bottomless pit for a thousand years where Christ establish his kingdom, in which will take place a thousand year millennial reign of Christ. After that, we'll have Satan be loose for a little season, <laughs> He knows he just has a short time before he's cast in the lake of fire also. And then he'll come against Christ and get some nations again to go against with Gog and Magog. Of course, they'll be destroyed in that battle. And then after that, we're going to see uh, seven new things. But anyway, he's talking about seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. We see seven personages. And we talked about those. We're in this section right now. We'll be talking about uh, seven dooms, one of those being the Antichrist when, he, when he's placed alive in the, in the lake of fire. And then later we're going to have the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is not for those who are saved. It will be for those who are lost. All through all the ages and mankind who's rejected Christ will face Christ at the Bema, at, not the Bema, but the great white throne judgment and there be judged according to their sins when Christ say, I never knew you. Anyway, as we come to Revelation 19, we'll see a couple things that's going to transpire here. If I was to break down this chapter, we'll just get to the first part this morning, is we're going to see the four hallelujahs, the four hallelujahs of Revelation chapter number 19, which will be followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verses 7 through 10, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then beyond that will become the second coming of Christ, as in this chapter, as you see, it's action-packed. Third thing will be the second coming of Christ. We'll come back with him. He'll be riding a white horse. And then will be the Battle of Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. There, the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, verse 17 through 19. Won't be much of a battle. You can see it's only three verses, not much of a fight. And then we'll see the, the beast and the false prophet cast alive in the lake of fire. And then we see the doom of the kings, all those who went against uh, Christ will be judged during that time. Now, way back, in Christ's earthly ministry, back when he was on the Mount of Olives, the Mount Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew chapter 24. His disciples came to him. They asked him, 
What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And he gives them a lot of, uh, talks about there's going to be many false Christs, pestilence, diseases. We've talked about all that. But as we look down, we think about what is the purpose of all this? What is going to end all this, this seven-year tribulation? Well, let me, I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. And then we'll read Revelation 19 here in just a minute. But I want you to see what the Lord Jesus Christ said. He said, Matthew 24, verses 27 through 30. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will be the eagles be gathered together. Now listen, verse 29. Immediately, immediately after the tribulation of those days, that's where we are right now, immediately after the tribulation of those days, those seven years, listen, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Verse 30. So think about a black canvas of night. <laughs> the sun's been darkened, the moon's been darkened, the stars have uh, fallen from heaven, and immediately in that, all that pitch darkness will come one of the most dramatic events ever that we anticipate, that we look forward to. In verse 30, the Bible says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. And so in that pitch black velvet of night will come the brightest light that's ever been seen. It'll be Jesus Christ. Hey, he is the light. You realize we get to heaven, the Bible says there's no need of any, any light. There's no night there because the sun, the S-O-N, is the light thereof of heaven. So without Christ, heaven would be dark, cavernous, cold, musty, but it, it's all worth it because Christ is there. That's what makes it heaven. When we look at this chapter, there's going to be three things that I break this down to. First of all, we're going to see heaven rejoices. We'll see why they're rejoicing here in a minute. The second thing is we're going to see the bride is ready, the bride of Christ, which is the church. And then the latter part, Christ returns. Well, let's look at the first part. We'll just be going down to verse number 6 today. The Bible says, after these things. Now, we'll talk about what these things that have transpired here in a minute. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders... And the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, and I like this, amen. And the dignified people said, amen, right? Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters, 
and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, means omnipotent, all power. So you see in there in verse number 1, in verse number 3, in verse number 4, in verse number 6, is the word Alleluia. Now let me talk about that just for a minute because we could say this section is about a couple things. We could title it, this is the Hallelujah Chorus of Heaven, or we could call it the Four Hallelujahs. Now the word Alleluia with an A is the Greek form, the New Testament, of course, written in Greek, of the Hebrew word Hallelujah, <laughs> uh, which says, and which means praise the Lord. Uh, this is Heaven's Hallelujah Chorus. And so we look at those four Hallelujahs this morning. And so this morning, if you was to say, Amen, you're okay. You're all right. In fact, I've got a sermon entitled, Is It All Right to Say Amen? And I'll give you the short of that sermon. Yes, it's okay to say amen. <laughs> so amen, let it be so. Amen. In fact, this morning, if you feel spunky, you could say, Hallelujah. Right? And if you feel real good and you just want to be too dignified, you could say, Hallelujah. Or you could say, Glory to God. Praise the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. Folks, we've lost our praise, haven't we? We've lost it. We're afraid that someone might look at us strange if we in church, which most of the time if I'm at a church visit, I'll say amen. They look at me like I'm, like I ain't never heard that before. But I'm telling you, if it's true and if it's right and if it's correct and it's biblical, we ought to say amen. And that really helps the preacher and helps the service by giving the praise to God. Now, you could, when I give a sermon, and I, I don't encourage this, at the end of a sermon, you could just stand up and applaud and say it's a good sermon, but I, I, would probably, I would probably sink down behind this pulpit in embarrassment and shame because the problem is when you do that, you give the glory to the preacher. And we're not here to give glory to the preacher. And we're not here to give the glory to the singers. And we're not here to give the glory to you. We're here to give the glory to God where it rightfully belongs. And so when we say amen, when we say glory to God, when we say hallelujah, when we say hallelujah, and all those things, we're given the glory where it belongs. We're giving it unto, unto God. So let's talk about these hallelujahs. We're going to see a couple of the, four of these hallelujahs when we see heaven is rejoicing. And they've got a good reason to rejoice, by the way. And I'm sure we can think of several reasons this morning why we could rejoice. Let me give you a couple of these. Number one, the first one that we find, verse number one, is what I call a redemptive hallelujah. It is a redemptive hallelujah because the Bible says after these things. And so we ask ourselves, what does it mean when it says after these things? Well, we've got to see what has transpired. Why are they rejoicing? Why are they singing a hallelujah when it comes to being redeemed and, being, uh, and when it comes to redemption? Well, there's several things that have transpired. There's been this uh, house of cards that has been built during tribulation period, religiously, politically, economically, and commercially, has been this false system of an apostate religion and a world superpower known as the Antichrist and his religious system and his economic commercial system that's been set up where you can neither buy nor sell nor trade without the mark of the beast. This has caused many 
who's in the tribula tribulation period because they'll be saved and be followers of Christ. There'll be people saved during the tribulation. But in order to remain, uh, then you have to reject the mark of the beast, the number 666 in your right hand or in your forehead. And if you refuse during that time, that's the reason the Bible says in Matthew 24, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Because what's going to happen is if you're in the tribulation and you reject the mark, which you're, going to you're not going to have much of a choice, you either accept it or your alternative is to be beheaded, according to Revelation chapter 20, to be beheaded for the faith. Be beheaded for the faith. I wouldn't risk that. I wouldn't risk that. Because who's to say you're even going to make it? Uh, just 10 minutes in the tribulation period, because when those seals are being peeled away, and those trumpets are being sounded, and those vials are being poured out, we're seeing a, a third of the whole world's population being destroyed at that time. So we're thinking... Hey, an estimate now, approximately 7 billion people in the world today. So I, with one seal in early tribulation, one seal, a billion people wiped upon the face of the earth like that with one, just one seal. We haven't gotten to the trumpets and the vows and everything else. This is redemptive hallelujah because we studied that in Revelation chapter number 17, this false apostate, Religious system of the Antichrist. There'll be religion. Satan's not nervous about religion. He's nervous when people start talking about having a real relationship with Jesus Christ. There's going to be religion in the tribulation period. It's going to be the apostate religion of the Antichrist. And guess what? In Revelation chapter number 17, we talked about how that crumbles and it falls because it was built upon the sand and not the rock. It comes crumbling down. And then in Revelation chapter number 18, what happens? Satan's, the Antichrist, his uh, commercial economic system of commerce comes crashing down and is totally obliterated, totally destroyed. It says there's not even any voices there. It's just quiet. Could be a nuclear blast. Who knows? But it's just quiet. It's, it's been decimated. And the shipmasters are so afraid because of the fire that you read that they, they don't even come close to the shores, they stand back in the ships and just watch from a distance because they're not going to get anywhere close to commercial Babylon. And what was told, if you look back at Revelation 18 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath done what? Avenged you on her. So what's happened here? is God has done what he said he would do. God has avenged those martyrs, the martyrs, those who within the tribulation period have endured to the end, and they've been beheaded for the faith, they've been killed by the Antichrist and all those that work for him, and they've been exterminated, they've been eliminated, they've been martyred for the faith, been put to death. And what God has done is what God will always do. He has avenged those martyrs. He's avenged them because it says rejoice over her thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets. Talking about the Old Testament prophets. For God hath avenged you on her. So that has been taken care of because guess what? Those people who buy and sell and become filthy rich 
through the Bible says their delicacies and so forth as you read Revelation 18. They stand back and they lament and they wail and they cry aloud because guess what? They're no longer going to be earning any more money from Babylon. And Babylon today still has its allure. I'm, I suggest staying away from it. <laughs> it is a redemptive hallelujah. And so they are rejoicing in Revelation that first hallelujah has to do with the fall, the total collapse economically, commercially, religiously. All those things have come crashing down to make the way for Christ to return, to return. So that is a redemptive hallelujah in verse number one. Now you see that when they say hallelujah, they add some things to that. They say the several words, salvation and glory in verse one, and honor and power under the Lord our God. So let's break that down. It's a fourfold declaration. They don't just say hallelujah or hallelujah. They say Hallelujah! For what? Salvation, for glory, for honor, for power. Let's look at those. The first one is that they give a hallelujah for salvation. Luke 21, 28. Now listen to what Christ said. When these things begin to come to pass, when these things begin to come to pass, things that folks that we're seeing right now, things that we're seeing on the world stage today, when these things begin to come to pass, the Bible says, then look up. Look up. Too many Christians are going around when things go on in the world that we read about in the Bible, and we're looking down. The Bible says, when you see those things, you ought to be looking up. Why? The Bible says, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption does what? Draweth nigh. Look up. Don't be discouraged. Sometimes we get discouraged about worldly events. You say, boy, America is really going downhill. Wow, becoming liberal-minded and, and so forth and becoming, uh, getting away from uh, moral principles, getting away from our Judean Christian values, right? And we see those things, but when we see them, we ought not to be looking down. We ought to be looking up. Look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Salvation. Next one is glory. God ought to receive all the honor, all the glory, all the glory. In Psalms it says that we ought to give the glory due his name. Now you may feel today in church, and I know I've felt that way many of times, you say, I don't feel worthy today the way I've lived this week and the way I feel physically or spiritually today. I don't feel like I'm worthy to give him glory. Well, we don't give him glory because you feel worthy. You're not worthy. But we give him glory because he is worthy of our praise. Hey, there's times I don't feel worthy. Guess what? I'm not but I get to give him glory. And by the way, giving him glory is more than just saying amen in the church service. Giving him glory is more than saying hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God or praise God in the church service. I'm telling you, when you walk through them doors right there and you walk out here in the world, 
then the, the way you conduct your life and the way you live your life, your conversation, as the New Testament talks about, not just your speech, but your manner of life, how you conduct yourself, your speech, how you walk in this world, and how you live for Christ, that gives God glory. Let me remind you, the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of, finish it, glory. Your purpose and my purpose in this world is give God the glory. Give Him the glory. For our salvation, we give Him glory. And then we give Him glory because of who He is. The person, they're giving Him glory. Next is honor. We ought to honor God, which means we have attributed value to God. Talking about money paid. If you feel as though if I brought some little trinket in here that I bought at Goodwill yesterday for 25 cent and, and I dropped that and broke it, that didn't have much value to it. But if I, on the other hand, I have something, an heirloom with sentimental value and costly and, and valuable and I drop that, that is more valuable. It talks about money paid, esteem given. Let me ride a little hobby horse here before I move on. All right? Let me uh, plow, plow a, a row. I'm amazed today that th what this world considers to be valuable. I marvel today at people who are saved, what they consider in their life valuable. Do you consider church attendance valuable? Hello, y'all still with me, right? Do you consider being loyal to your church valuable? Do you consider this word of God and the knowledge of it and studying this book valuable? Do you consider prayer valuable? Do you consider giving unto the Lord tithes, offerings, and missions valuable? And there's people today, the truth is that they may say God's the first or least, but I'm going to tell you something. Their life contradicts it. Their life contradicts it. Let me tell you something about talk. It's cheap. Talk is cheap. Well, I just love God and I love everything about Him. Well, maybe so much as saying that is to show it in your life. <laughs> Don't just talk it, but walk it. Walk it. Ain't we having a good time at Bassett, Virginia at 348 Clarence Martin Road? Bassett, Virginia, 24055, U.S. of A. Give God the glory. Give Him the honor. The honor. If we, God will just evaluate our lives and really show what is valuable to us, we'd probably say, well, God's the first on my list, then family, then work, and then everything else. But I'm going to tell you where you find out where your honor is and what you consider valuable is what you spend the most of your time doing. Boy, it's getting quiet. What do you spend most of your time doing? If I told my wife, so I really love you, but I'm never going to spend any time with you. I'm telling you, it ain't going to work. Oh, I love God. How much time have you been spending with him? We, do, we, do we consider that valuable? Let's move on because I'm going to get in trouble. All right, number four, power. That was another reason that they gave him Honor because of his power, which means the word 
Greek word dudamus. It's the same word we talk about, for it is the power, dudamus, dynamite. It is the power of God uh, that saves us. It is miraculous power. God is, um, it says he's omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Let's move on to the next one. It is a retribution, hallelujah, retribution, verses 2 and 3. For true and righteousness are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, here's the second one, hallelujah, and her smoke, referring to the great whore, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. They give another hallelujah, praise the Lord, because they say God is true and God is righteous. Aren't you glad we serve a God that the Bible says there's one thing he can't do, God cannot lie. He said, I am the way and the what? The truth. I am the truth. Christ is truth. This Bible is truth. God is righteous, meaning he will always, always do right. Do right. You say, will God judge sin? Absolutely. Because the God of all the universe will always do right. He is righteous. On the other side of that, the Antichrist and the devil He's not true. He's false. Christ, God cannot tell a lie. Satan cannot tell the truth. He's the father of lies. He does not, I believe, have the ability to tell the truth. He is a liar and the father of it. He's false. And on the other side, he is not righteous. He's unrighteous, meaning that he will not, not do you right. Satan will not do you right. He paints a wonderful, beautiful picture, but guess what? It's nothing but a lie. It's not true. It's false. So they're thankful for that. And they also give a hallelujah because God has judged the great whore of Revelation chapter number 17. We talked about that being, I love this word, <laughs> ecclesiastical religious Babylon, referring to that apostate church. God's judged that false apostate religion. And also, uh, as the Bible reminds us, that the smoke rose up forever and ever because of that. And the Bible uses the word here, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Let me tell you something about God. God's wheels move slow, but they move sure. You say, well, God seems to be allowing the atrocities of the world and the, the sins of the world to go unchecked and unresolved. No, he has not. There's no one on the face of the earth that's ever lived since Adam to present day or afterward who has ever sinned and gotten away with it. If you say, I sinned and I got away with it, then congratulations, you are the first person in all of human history to do so. No, you haven't got away with anything because here... We've seen that God has tarried long. He's answered the prayers of those martyred saints. And guess what? God has avenged them. God has vindicated them, which means to do justice. And the Bible tells us today when it comes to us as Christians 
Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Avenge, don't vindicate yourselves. But rather, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know the Bible tells us that we are to pray for our enemies? The Bible says that we are to love those who despitefully use us. Boy, that goes against the grain. Because my flesh wants to retaliate. <laughs> when somebody, That's what the world does today. Someone tells you off, you tell them off. Someone does you wrong, you do them wrong. Dog eat dog, right? Boy, they, they come at you, you go at them. You retaliate. Let me remind you that Jesus Christ, the Bible says, when they, when they went against him, hey, he didn't, he didn't strike back. They pulled his beard. When they smote him on the face with reeds and placed that crown of thorns on his head, the Bible says he didn't retaliate. He could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come and eliminate and exterminate the entire earth, but thank God he didn't strike back. You say, preacher, I read... Uh, there in the Beatitudes that, you know, if they, you know, smite me on the cheek, I'm, I'm the turn to the other cheek. That's right. And you say, preacher, what do I do after the second one? Well, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> Avenge not yourselves, but rather give unto place. But listen, someone does you wrong. Someone goes against you. You have enemies. Your flesh wants to retaliate and get them back. But that's not your job. That's not your job. You ever had a job and... Somebody came and went behind you and, and done that job, and you say, wait a minute, that, that wasn't your place. That wasn't something you were supposed to do. When you retaliate against other people and when you try to go against enemies of the world and so forth, think how God's going to feel when he said, wait a minute, that was my job. Hello, that's my job because he says, Dear beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Don't you worry about that. God will vindicate you. God will avenge you. But make sure it's, it's not you. Some people interpret that verse this way. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. No, that's not what it means. I'm sorry. And it says the smoke of their torment. That reminds that word smoke there. The smoke rose up forever and ever. Reminds us of what? It reminds us of back in Mark where it says the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Reminds us of hell and lake of fire. Let's look at the Two last ones. This is the reality, hallelujah, verses 4 and 5. And the four and twenty elders, we learned about those early in Revelation, and the four beasts, those are guardians of the throne of God, fell down and worshiped God. That sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. This is a reality, hallelujah. The word amen is found ten times in Revelation, we see the four and twenty elders representing the redeemed. And what do they do? When they see this, they fall down, prostrate on their faces before a thrice holy God, before the throne of God. The four beasts that are the guardians of the throne of God, they fall down, prostrate, and worship God. And they say in verse 5, and a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, that ye fear him, both 
great and small. Let's look at the last one. Is a reigning hallelujah. A reigning hallelujah. Verses 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. This is the last hallelujah of the four. It's two things. This reigning hallelujah is something we ought to say hallelujah. No matter what happens in the world today, guess what? I can assure you, God has a throne that is presently and always will be occupied. God's still on the throne. God's still in control. God hasn't taken his hands off the steering wheel of this world. His hands have not slipped. By the way, God's hands have not slipped off the steering wheel of your life. God's not pacing the street of gold, chewing Tums, drinking Pepto-Bismol and Maalox and everything else and chewing his fingernails wondering what he's going to do because man's sin. No, God's still on the throne. God's still in control. He still reigns. He sovereignly reigns because the Bible tells us here, the Bible says, the Lord omnipotent reigneth. That's one of his attributes. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. And the Bible says he's also omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He reigneth. For years, listen, Christians have prayed and should pray because we was instructed by the Lord Jesus, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, means holy, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom thousand year millennial reign. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us what? Not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that's the model prayer. That's the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. Because the Lord didn't ever have to pray for uh, forgiveness of sin. But listen, for years, if you're praying, the model prayer is Christ told us to, that we ought to fashion our prayers. We are praying what? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? That prayer hasn't been answered yet, but it will be. Will it be because you prayed it? That God will usher in his kingdom, thy kingdom will come, sovereignly reign for a thousand years. The last thing is, is verse number 7. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. This is the saints will reign. Judgment is past for the child of God in heaven. There's already been the judgment seat of Christ. That's already taken place. But now we come back with him to rule and reign for a thousand years.